Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Courtney Enlow, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. Walt Disney is usually credited with inventing the animated feature as we know it today. 1937's Snow White wasn't just his first feature-length animated film, it was also the first one to be made in Hollywood. Disney had been known for creating Mickey Mouse shorts of comparatively light substance. Though the Steamboat Willie short had set a bar for his relatively small studio to maintain, it was widely believed that Disney wouldn't be going much further than that. In fact, while in production, many predicted that Snow White was doomed to fail, even going so far as to refer to it as Disney's folly. Well, now we know Disney took that folly all the way to the bank paid some very late checks to the animators, and went on to be world famous for creating the first animated feature. Pretty great, right? Not so fast. There is one important part of this story to emphasize, which is that Snow White was the first film of its kind ever made in the United States. It was not, however, the first feature-length animated film. This is probably going to shock you, but it turns out that Disney was absolutely not the person who invented the multiplane camera which was used to produce Snow White and for which his studio was to become internationally famous for having invented. Also surprising, the person he got the idea from was a woman who to this day is barely credited for her work. Can you believe it? Though we are absolutely reeling from the disclosure that a man in some way benefited from a woman's labor and left her uncredited while going on to become one of the most well-respected innovators of the 20th century, we're going to try to get over that for a second to tell you the story of our girl, Lottie Reiniger. Shadow plays were hugely popular in Germany during Reiniger's childhood. But the art form had its origins in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia and Thailand. It had migrated to Europe by the 17th century as a result of the European trade route to India and China that would benefit all countries involved for a very short time before leading to the colonialization of both China and India via British imperialism. That part is not great, but it doesn't have a lot to do with Lottie, who was entranced by shadow theater as a small child at the turn of the 20th century. Wielding a set of scissors with surprising dexterity, Lottie began creating her own shadow plays at home to entertain her family and friends. By the time she was in her late teens, 
Reiniger was working with experimental artists in animation studios in Berlin, adding short segments to films by directors like Fritz Lang. During this time, she met and quickly married Carl Koch, who was to be her most important creative partner for years. The Argentinian animator Corino Cristiani is known to have created not just one, but two full-length animated feature films nearly a decade before the release of Reiniger's film The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. But both of them perished in a fire, which coincidentally occurred around the same time Ahmed was released. It is unlikely either film will be recovered. But with early film, there is always the ghost of a chance that someday a surviving copy might be found. Until then, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed remains the first full-length animated film available for viewing. Utilizing her groundbreaking multiplane camera, which layered multiple sheets of glass to give the illusion of depth to two-dimensional drawings, it remains a stunning visual spectacle to this day. In a surprising about-face, it was Koch whose work on Ahmed went uncredited. As Reiniger's husband and partner during the creation of the film, as well as an artist himself, Koch did much of the cinematography for Lottie's animations, and the film might not exist without his participation. This is true of many of her works and he was indeed an invaluable partner to her. This went both ways, however, as she also assisted him with his works, including his collaborations with Renoir. To all appearances, this was an enviable power couple during a time of massive political turmoil. To make the figure move, it must be placed in the correct position and a shot taken. The figure is then moved a fraction further and a second shot is taken, and so on so that with much patience and concentration, the figure moves more and more. The camera shutter opens again and again, and the final result will be the figure moving across the screen. Less surprisingly, this adaptation of Arabian Nights created by a white woman in Germany during the 1920s suffers from the inclusion of many racist caricatures, and the film is difficult to watch for that specific reason. Translations of Arabian Nights of the time were by white European scholars, and they created a problematic text that was widely celebrated as authentic folklore, despite having been filtered significantly through a Eurocentric gaze. As with many white filmmakers of the time, Reiniger wasn't responsible for the creation of said stereotypes, nor their overwhelming presence in society, though she was responsible for placing them in her own art. Many English and European adaptations of the tales in Arabian Nights suffer from identical pitfalls of what we would now view as exoticizing the people of Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And the issues of sexism are as ingrained into the text as they are into very nearly the entirety of folklore in every region dating back to early civilization. That same is true of much of early animation and film, and it's not an excuse, and it's recommended that modern audiences keep their own boundaries in mind when deciding whether or not to undertake a viewing of Ahmed. Better yet, there are any number of Reiniger's shorts in which race doesn't factor at all, and those are a lot easier to watch. Unlike many directors of her time, a surprising amount of Reiniger's works have survived. She created around 60 films, and about 40 of them are still available for viewing. Not only were the Nazis well known for destroying art en masse, the studio where much of her previous work was stored was hit by a hand grenade during World War II. So we very narrowly avoided losing these films. Though they continued their work, Reiniger and Koch had leftist politics, and as such had grown increasingly concerned by the rise of fascism in their home country 
through the early 30s. As the Nazi party took control, the couple grew nervous and considered their options. The rise of fascism in Germany is obviously well-documented, but there are still many things we will never know about its full effects on individual lives. What we do know is that Reiniger and Koch were more than aware of the immediate fascism of the Nazi regime because as artists and proponents of the avant-garde, many of their friends would have been Jewish, queer, Romani, or otherwise marginalized in a way that led them to be immediately attacked by the changing tide. Reiniger and Koch left Germany for England in 1933 and then spent much of the following decade hopping from country to country, refusing to return home. During their travels, they still managed to create 12 films, which is about 12 more films than most people could produce while desperately attempting to avoid a fascist police state that could very well cost them their lives. When their final visas were denied, and to aid her ailing mother, the couple was forced to return to Germany in the mid-40s. Reiniger's presence was made known to Hitler and the Nazis. They intimidated Reiniger and Koch, forcing Reiniger to make propaganda films under the threat of meeting the same fate as many of her friends. This period in Reiniger's life was brief, as the Reich was to fall in 1945, only about a year after Reiniger had come home. Still, she had been cornered into working around the clock to create works that had nothing to do with her own creativity, and in fact stood in opposition to her entire belief system during one of the most infamous genocides in human history. There were plenty of filmmakers during the occupation of Germany by the Nazi party that produced propaganda willingly, or in the case of the infamous Leni Riefenstahl, produced a film that explicitly glorified Hitler and empowered the Nazi youth, then spent much of her lifetime shrugging off or denying any involvement with fascism or the Nazi party. Meanwhile, Reiniger is not the only artist who was threatened or bullied into creating works for Germany. Her one surviving work of this time, The Golden Goose, is still available for viewing. As with much of her work, it is based on mythology and does what it can to avoid politics entirely, despite the highly charged environment in which it was created. After the war, the couple relocated to England, having lost their taste for their hometown for, you know, obvious reasons. This would become an incredibly productive time for each of them, and they stayed busy throughout the 50s. Sadly, after Koch's death in 1963, Reiniger was traumatized by her loss and unwilling or unable to work for nearly a decade. She did eventually return to filmmaking, and her last movie was released in 1980. Despite the intricate nature of her specialized technique of filming, the importance of the story must not be underestimated in Miss Reiniger's work. Now let's get back to that multiplane camera. The Walt Disney created a company that was based around the idea of a happy family of artists joining together against all odds and creating beloved animation classics. There is a hell of a dark side to the Disney Corporation. It's true that Disney did have to fight tooth and nail to see Snow White made. The original estimated budget of $250,000 would eventually tally in at $1.5 million. That translates to about $11 bazillion in today's money. That is a staggering amount for any movie of the late 30s, let alone one that industry pros were pretty certain was going to be a box office catastrophe. Still, while Reiniger and Koch were busy fleeing fascism in Europe, Disney was patenting her invention. There is no way to say that that makes Disney come out looking good. At any rate, it isn't just that Disney utilized the same technique as Reiniger. Reiniger herself had used a technique popularized by others. The difference is she hadn't patented it. 
Considering how heavily Disney has always borrowed from other artists and pre-existing famous works, the company's commitment to taking public domain items, copywriting them, and then using the rights he gained to withhold said properties from ever entering the public domain again is a bit unethical. This is a corporation that literally hoards copyrights. The myth of Snow White, which is definite pre-existing folklore, is patented to them, to Disney, to this day, just like that multi-plane camera. As stated, there are some problematic elements to the adventures of Prince Ahmed that can easily dampen the enjoyment of viewing it. But overall, Reiniger's films were beautiful works of early animation, and her style lent itself to the process of bringing myths and legends to life on the big screen, well before Disney was to gain renown for doing the same. Though no one is fully hero or fully villain, Reiniger's life story and her opposition to German fascism deserve some regard, as does her role as one of the early innovators of the form whose work ultimately inspired much of what we understand as animated film today. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Sarah Century and read by Courtney Enlow and produced by Cher Martin. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at sci-fi fangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sci-fi fangirls.